time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right, man, it's good to be with you guys. Man, I missed you guys last week. It was so exciting being in Trinidad and being with several of the students in DLA. But, man, I missed DSM right here on Wednesday night. So it's good to be with you guys. Excited to see all your smiling faces. Everybody smile. All right, are we ready to go? I want to talk to you. I want to kind of start out with this little illustration tonight. I want you to pretend if I hit you, I'm sorry. I'm just giving you fair warning. Yeah, that didn't work like I thought it was going to. I thought it would unravel. So I want you to pretend that this rope signifies eternity. Yeah, I got one. That's good. That's good. That was my goal, just to get one. Let's pretend, let's pretend this rope goes around the world. Let's pretend it goes around the world seven times. It's just, a, it's just a continuous rope. It represents eternity. It's like there's no end to it. All right, around the world. You got, you got the visual in your head? I mean, the longest rope ever around the world, signifying eternity. Here's what, here's what we see in our culture today. This little blue part of this rope, you see the little blue part, the tape? This little blue part represents our life here on earth. Compared to this rope that goes around the world, across the oceans, across the continents, seven times, representing eternity, this is our life. This is our part. This is our existence here on earth. And you know what I see happening in our culture? You know what takes place? There's so many fans that they're all focused right here on this. In fact, they work, they work really hard in these years right here. What do you think this point is right here? It's retirement. They work their tails off. They work hard. They save money. And then they lose it when the market crashes. But they save money. For one point, for one point, retirement, so they can enjoy a few golden years. That's what they're focused on. Their whole focus leads up to this point. That's a fan of Jesus, not a follower. You know what a follower focuses on? The rest of the rope. The follower isn't focused just on this. He knows that this life is but a breath. It's but a breath. His focus is on eternity. His focus is on eternal things. His focus is on kingdom things. His focus is on bringing people with him into eternity. Followers of Jesus are not focused on this little blue part of the rope. True followers of Jesus are focused on the rest. Does that make sense to you tonight? How many of us go through our weeks and we're just focused on getting through the day at school we're just focused on getting through that week because the weekend's coming. I mean, we get into that mindset. Our culture kind of supports that. But we get into that mindset where it's just about me. It's just about this existence right here. And it's never about eternity. So tonight we're going to kind of wrap up this series. Fan or follower. 
And we have to continue to ask ourselves, man, does my life, do my decisions, do my choices, do the things I'm thinking about, do my actions, do they represent a follower of Jesus? Or are we just simply fans? So there are some really, as I began to think about it, some real dramatic differences between fans and followers. And tonight I want to, I just kind of, I want to identify six of those. There's tons. I mean, we could go on for almost ever kind of identifying the differences. But tonight there's like six ones that I think really, really impact us as students, impact us as in our generation. Most of the scriptures I'm going to use tonight are going to be out of 2 Timothy. And I love the book of 2 Timothy. I've been reading through the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was written by Paul while he was in jail, just about to die. It was one of the last letters that Paul wrote before, before he died, before they killed him. And it was to Timothy, this young guy, this young pastor, young dude. How many of us are young dudes? I'm raising my hands. David raised his hand. We're young dudes. We're young. Quit laughing. We're young. So, Paul could have been writing us that letter. Now, actually, Timothy was real young. He was probably in his early 20s, maybe even younger. Paul was raising him up. So a lot of these scriptures, I think, are really, uh, 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 really focused on, on the, the young person. So that's what we're going to use. So here, we're just going to begin to go right through them. There's six of them. Number one, number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It should be on the screen. Fans are concerned with what makes them happy now. Fans are concerned with what makes them happy now. Followers want a story that leaves a legacy. Followers want a story that leaves a legacy. We just showed you that whole rope illustration. And how, man, we, especially this young culture, we are so, we are such an instant gratification culture, aren't we? I mean, young people, they just kind of follow the flow of their feelings. Let's be honest. We're really not as concerned about truth as much as we're concerned about how we feel at that particular moment. Whatever feels good and right at this very moment is what I'm going to choose to believe as truth. That's the belief of your young generation. The path chosen to this young culture is always based on what they're feeling at that specific moment. And the majority of young people, they never look down the road for consequences. They're not focused They're not even focused a little further down the blue tape, let alone on eternal things, on things of the kingdom. They're focused on the here and now. And the idea of the fan is that the future is far off. To the fan of Jesus, the future is far off, and I'm going to deal with that future when I get there, and not any sooner. I'm not going to look that far ahead. I'm not going to think of it. That's That's a fan's idea. But for the follower, the future matters. They want to leave a heritage. They want to leave a legacy. I mean, they want to have an impact so that the things will be different in the future. Things will be different for the generation, the young generation in the future. Things will be different for their families and their future wives and husbands in the future. Things will be different for their kids in the future. Things will be different for their grandchildren in the future. They want to leave a heritage behind that exemplifies Jesus. That's a follower. I mean, have you ever thought about that the decisions and the choices that you're making right now are going to impact your marriage. The decisions and choices you're making right now, good or bad, are going to impact your children and your children's children. Trust me, they will. 
So we've got to be careful about the decisions we're making. We've got to decide if we're fans or followers. We've either got to buy into this thing of following Jesus wholeheartedly or we're just going to cheer every once in a while and Jesus will never have complete control of our lives, which means we're going to get ourselves into trouble. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7 through seven says, Timothy, I thank God for you. This is Paul writing to young Timothy. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois. I love this whole story of legacy right here. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, I love the phrase that Paul uses here. And I'm going to fan into flames what God has given you. Fan it into flames. You know what this phrase tells me? This phrase tells me that becoming a true follower of Christ is going to take some effort. It's going to take some effort on your part. If this is going to be an intimate relationship, it's going to take work. Every relationship takes work. You think marriages last forever because they didn't put any work into them? Relationships take work. How many of you have ever dated a boy or a girl? You had a boyfriend or girlfriend? How many of you, it lasted less than two days? Thank you for being honest. (laughs) Several of you. You realized it was too much work, didn't you? That's why it lasted two days. Relationships take work. Relationships take work. Fans will never get there because they don't want to work or put the time in to that relationship. So the relationship will be, uh, they don't want to put the time in so that the relationship will become vibrant. It'll become, it'll, it'll become uh, uh, great down the road. It's going to take work. I mean, it's not incredible right now. It's not real intimate. We're still getting to know each other. But man, down the road, it's going to be awesome because they're putting all this time and work into it. It's the same with your relationship with God. You got to put time and work into it. And that relationship's going to be vibrant down the road. It doesn't mean it's not good now. I mean, you've got the relationship now, but man, in this, in this, in this praying, in this, in this studying and being in the word and having your quiet time and getting to that secret place, it's in these moments that you begin to build this intimacy with God. You begin to learn his language. You begin to learn how he speaks. You begin to learn the sound of his voice. I know you guys don't have kids yet, but my kid, I can tell when my kid's crying between another kid crying. Like if my kid and three other kids were crying, I could pinpoint, and they were in four different areas, I could tell you which, which area my kid was in. Because I know his voice. I know his cry. I know when he needs me. It's the same thing with God. He knows when you need him. He knows your voice. He knows your cry. But it takes a little effort on our part to learn his. To learn his voice. Okay, let's go to number two. Number two, fans... Never think of sharing Christ with others. It's the last thing on their mind. Followers work at telling others about Christ and fully carry out the ministry God has given them. So to the fan, the last thing on their mind is sharing the gospel with a friend. Because to a fan, life is always about themselves. It's never about others. It's me this and me that. And what about me? It's me, 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 me. Everybody say me. Me, me. me. 
me, 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 me. See, that's wrong. <laughs> it's not about me. Fans, man, they be, they're comfortable in the fact that this life was and is all about them. They never think about God's plan. They're never thinking about God's timing. They've never thought about learning to walk in God's presence on a daily basis. It's all about going back to the first one, what makes me happy now? It's about me. The life of a follower, however, is rarely based on the idea of me. Their lives are based on God's purposes. Their lives are based on God's desires. Their lives are based on loving God wholeheartedly and loving others. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Two commandments. Love God. Love others. Does it say anything in there about loving me? It's not all about us. It was never intended to be that way. It's about others. Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 5, again, Paul's writing to the young Timothy. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work. Again, there's that word. It's going to take some effort. Work at telling others the good news. And fully carry out the ministry God has given you. One good way to get the focus of your life off of you is to go on a missions trip. We experienced that this past week. The focus was not on us. We're walking around in jeans in 80 degree, 85 degree weather, going door to door, talking to Hindus and Muslims. It's not as easy as you might think it is to begin to share the gospel with Hindus who believe in all kinds of gods and Muslims who don't like you as soon as you say you're a Christian. Okay? It's not that easy. Man, it forces you, it pushes you out of your comfort zone. To preach God, it takes work. It takes courage. It takes boldness to stand there in a a different country, in a a whole different place, and stop people on the streets or calling people, good evening, out of their homes to come and talk with you about Jesus and share Christ with them. It's going to take some work. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, this is not going to come naturally to you. This is not going to be a piece of cake for you. You are going to have to work at telling others the good news. By the end of those days of walking around in Trinidad, and we didn't really walk a long time, but I'm telling you, for like the two or three hours that we were, you know, each day that we were, you know, in the neighborhoods and in the homes and doing all that stuff, I mean, I tell you, by the end of it, it, I was kind of, I was physically, emotionally, well, especially emotionally and spiritually drained from trying to communicate Jesus to people who didn't know him. It was emotionally and spiritually draining. It's going to take work. But I guarantee you the students who went are much more in tune with preaching the gospel to others and carrying out the ministry that God has given them than before they left. They're in tune with it. I would be, well, I would challenge you the ones that went. I would challenge you to preach the gospel in your schools this week. Preach the gospel. Don't let that evangelism fire in your hearts die out. You've got to fan it into a flame, which means you've got to work at it, which means you've got to practice it. You're not going to be automatically good at it. Every conversation's not going to go your way. Some are going to reject you. Some are going to laugh at you. Some are going to maybe spit on you. I don't know, but some are going to receive you. Some are going to receive the words that you're speaking. And lives 
will be changed. Eternities will be changed because you took the courage and boldness to speak. Fan it into flame, the gift that God has given you. And I'm telling you, every one of you is an evangelist. There's not one of you that is not. There's not one of you who is exempt from the Great Commission. No student, no DLA student, no youth pastor, no youth worker, no youth volunteer. We are not exempt from the Great Commission. I've heard youth pastors say, well, I'm just a good disciple. I just like to disciple people. Baloney. Quit being a youth pastor. You're hurting. You're hurting the generation. You're not helping it. We are evangelists. That's what God has called every Christian to be. Every follower of Christ is to share the gospel. Let's go to number three. Number three, fans bail ship when life is no longer in their control. Fans bail ship when life is no longer in their control. Followers become more desperate for God in the stressful times of life and trust that the Lord will deliver them from every evil attack and bring them safely into his heavenly kingdom. There was a time in my life that, man, I felt like I was totally out of control. I've been a youth pastor for about two years, and almost the minute I started being a youth pastor, almost the day the enemy came after me, and I'm not going to go into great details, but I'm going to tell you something. I saw shadows pass through my room. I've seen snake heads on my ceiling. I've been pinned to my bed multiple times a week in my past where I couldn't speak, couldn't move. I was wide awake. I mean, I knew what it was. I've heard chains. I've heard footsteps coming into my room. I watched my door open on it by itself once. Open by itself, and then I got attacked. The enemy was after me. And I tell you what, you know what that did to me? It made me desperate. I was so desperate. Every morning, six, six o'clock in the morning, you'd find me out of my deck reading scripture. For two years, I spent two years in the Psalms. I couldn't read anyplace else because the Psalms is what gave me the encouragement. The Psalms are where I felt God was speaking to me and giving me encouragement and hope. I would think, I would, this is how bad it got, I would think, I would think at Christmas time, I'd think, oh Lord, maybe by next Christmas this will end. Maybe I won't have to walk through this. Maybe I won't have to deal with this by next Christmas. I dealt with it for five or six years. These attacks. It brought fear. It brought doubt. But I tell you, one of the mornings on my deck when I was pretty low, one of the lowest of lows, I didn't know. I began to question, man, should I even be in ministry? Maybe I should just quit. I knew that's what the enemy wanted me to do, though, in my heart. The whole thing was an intimidation tactic to get me out of the ministry, to get me out of influencing young people. As I sat on my deck one, one morning, very, very desperate for God, he gave me a vision. This was plain as day. It was very, very dark. It was very, very black. But in the middle was Jesus and I. He was holding onto my hand. I was holding onto him. He was above me, and we were just ascending. We were just ascending up in the clouds. My eyes were locked with his. And I was just enjoying it. I was enjoying the vision. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it got heavy. It got heavier and heavier. My hand, I felt like, was beginning to slip. It was heavier and heavier and heavier. And Jesus looked at me, and he said, look down. And I looked down, and it was like this swarm of young people. I mean, you, you couldn't even see the end. Of it. The swarm of young people were just holding on to my legs, and they were holding on to each other's legs, and, they were holding, and we're all ascending together. And Jesus looked at me, and he said, if you let go, they all fall. I said, holy crap. 
said, if you let go, they all fall. And on tears and tears out of my, on my back deck, desperate for God, I said, God, I can't hold on any longer. I could not hold on. The weight was too, too much. And I released, but I did not fall. Jesus still had my hand. It was from that point on, as that point on, I began winning that battle instead of losing that battle. Jesus began to teach me. Well, he taught me so many things through that time. But he began to teach me how to rely on his strength, on his power. He began to teach me how the enemy works. He began to teach me how the enemy influences your generation. He began to teach me about open doors. He began to teach me about fear. He began to teach me so many things that have helped me become the youth pastor I am today to serve young people. And I, you know what? I, I wouldn't change it. As hard as it was and as a struggle it was, I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't be who I am today without that. So followers become desperate for God in stressful times. It's one of the ways you know you're a true follower of Christ. When tough times come, you press in. If you're just a fan, you'll bail out. Are you a fan or are you a follower? 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to number four. Number four. Fans are okay with dabbling in sin every now and then. They see how close to the line they can get and still be okay. Followers run from anything that even hints at sin and they choose to pursue righteousness. There's a big difference here. The, the illustration of sexual sin comes to my mind pretty easily, especially in high school relationships. Because, you know, holding hands, you know when you hold hands, you get that little jitterly for the first time, you get that little, little butterflies in your stomach and your heart's kind of pumping a little fast. I'm holding your hand. You know, you know, you're walking down the mall or wherever you're going and you're like, I think I'm going to try to grab her pinky. You know, and, and you, know, you just kind of ease in, you grab her hand, whatever the case is. You get those, but I tell you what, after a while, that, those butterflies and those jitters go away, don't they? From holding hands. It just kind of becomes something that you do. You know, and the same thing happens when you kiss, and pretty soon that goes away. And you start pushing the limits. It doesn't become enough to satisfy the craving you have, which is a natural craving from God. God's given you that passion but he's given it to you for his purposes and his timing. And in sexual sin, you begin to push those boundaries. You begin to push those lines. Well, maybe this is okay. This is okay. I mean, it's not, it's not sex. I mean, I know it's not holding hands, but it's not sex. And we begin to push those lines and push those edges. That's not what a follower of Christ does. You could be a fan and maybe justify it. And that's basically what you do the entire time is you're justifying your actions. Say, oh, it's okay. I think I can do this and still be okay. It's not how it works. A follower of Christ runs from that stuff. A follower of Christ sets boundaries immediately that are biblical and godly, that God would be pleasing and honoring to him. That's what a follower of Christ does. And it's not just sexual sin. It's any sin. A follower of Christ flees from it. A follower of Christ runs from it. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Fans don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin. They aren't truly sorry for it. They may act sorry for it if they get caught. But they're not truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because they heard it was bad news if they didn't repent. So fans don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is any better than the old one. I mean, is the new life, have you ever asked yourself that question? Is the new life that Jesus is offering you, the life of salvation, the life of redemption, the life of holiness, the life uh, uh, to walk blameless in his presence, to, to have communion with him, intimacy, a relationship with him. Is that life truly better than your old one? Fans won't see the difference. Followers will. This is why there are times when you have to take drastic measures in your life and in your heart. There are times when you have to part ways with friends. There are times when you've got to sever relationships because they represent the old way of life to you. And you find yourself continually falling back into the old patterns of sin when in reality God has given you the power to move forward. God will not ask you to move forward if he's not going to give you the power to move forward. If he's not going to clear the path for you. God never intended the roller coaster life of sin, confess, sin, confess to become the pattern that you live with. You know what I mean by the roller coaster life? You sin, you're down, you confess, yeah, you sin, you're down. That's not God's plan. That's never been God's plan. His plan was to confess of your sin, turn from that sin, and begin to move forward and upward with Jesus Christ. That's not sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. It's Repent, turn from it, move away from it. Move away from it. Let's go to number five. Number five, fans claim they know God, but only when it benefits them. Fans claim they know God, but only when it benefits them. Followers claim the name of Jesus, and they shout it from the rooftops even when it costs them. Fans claim it when it benefits them, Followers shout it even when it costs them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for you or for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning, the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Jesus Christ. What is Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, hey, Timothy, no matter the situation, no matter where you find yourself, whether you find yourself in chains, whether you find yourself being rejected, being persecuted, Timothy, no matter how you find yourself, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Look at the New Testament. You will see young men and women who stood in many courtrooms accused of being liars, hypocrites, and religious lawbreakers who could have gotten out of their ordeals, out of their situations, by simply denying the power of Jesus, but they did not. They did not, they could not, they would not, because they could not deny the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in their life. Many of these uh, faithful ones, they faced death 
all the time. But you know what I see across Christian youth groups today, this Christian youth group culture? We don't have to face death, right? I mean, we're extremely blessed to live in a free country. But over and over and over again, I see a bunch of young fans who won't even sacrifice a little popularity. They won't sacrifice a little criticism or a little reputation or a little rejection for the name of Jesus. That is the majority of the Christian culture today. I do not want that for DSM. We will not be cultural Christians. We will not be and lower our level of spirituality or lower our level of intimacy with Jesus because we see other Christian students here or even here. As DSM, we need to set the bar high. We need to become the standard. That's what your staff expects of you. That's what your leaders expect of you. That's what we expect of DLA. That's what we expect of DSM students. We set the bar for the nation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We set the bar. We will not and we refuse to be fans. We will be followers. Let's go to number six. Last one. Fans know the right things to say at the right times, but it's just lip service. Their actions never back up their words. Followers understand they've been set apart and offer themselves as living sacrifices. Their goal, to be holy and pleasing to God. That's what matters. On the rope of eternity, getting to retirement doesn't matter. Honoring God matters. Being faithful to God matters. Eternal things matter. They don't store up treasures on this earth. They store up treasures in heaven. They're all about the eternal part. They're all about the rest of it. They're not a part. They're small, earthly part. They don't think that way. They think kingdom thoughts. They know the heart and mind of Jesus. The goal is to be holy and pleasing to God. Fans, they say they love Jesus. And he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, a section of their money, a, a, part, a, a, a section of their thoughts. But he isn't allowed to control their lives. He isn't allowed to be Lord. He might be God, but he is not Lord. They might believe that there's a God. They might believe in Jesus. But Jesus is not Lord of their lives. Difference between a fan and a follower. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Sounds like America. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Titus chapter 1 verse 16, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Romans 12, 2, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves and offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, DSM. Let's start making it a habit every day before our feet hit the floor, before we roll out of bed. Say, God, I offer myself as a living sacrifice today. God, it's not about my plans. It's not about where I'm going. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about my classes, even though I'm going to study hard and get good grades. God, in the big scheme of things, it's about you. God, what do you have for me today? God, what do you want me to do today? God, I want to walk in your presence today. God, speak to me today. God, I want my life. I want everything I do, my going and my coming, my sleeping and my waking, whatever. I want everything that I do to be about you, Jesus. It's about you. If we will offer ourselves as living sacrifices each and every day, I don't mean once a week. It's not once a month. It's not at Christmas or Easter. It's every day. Every day I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not a fan on Tuesdays and Thursdays and follower on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm a, I'm a follower. My life is about that of Jesus. Tonight I want you to make that commitment. As DSM, as a youth ministry that has been called out, that as a youth ministry that I believe has been set apart by God to set the bar for a generation, will you be a follower? Or will you sit on the sidelines and be fans? Never getting in the game. Never experiencing the hit. Never experiencing the glory of the victory. Just going to sit on the sideline and do nothing. Will you be a follower tonight? Here's what I want to do. If I have something that I want you to take home with you, that I want you to remember this by. So if you're going to be a follower tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up and get one of these. Frontline's going to come and grab some and hand them out. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to hesitate. You're declaring tonight. You're declaring with all of your heart before Jesus. This is an act of obedience, saying, God, I am going to be a follower of Christ. I refuse to be a fan. I'm going to set the bar high for a generation. I'm going to, I'm going to follow the, the things you want me to do. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to prove my love for you by my obedience. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk blameless in your presence. I'm going to keep a short list. I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I want you to transform my heart. I want you to renew my mind. I want to offer myself to you as a living sacrifice tonight. If that's you, I just want you to come to the front right now. Don't come if you don't mean it. If you don't mean it, you stay seated. Who are we? We're followers. I want you to say this with me as, you're, as they're passing stuff out. 
I refuse to be a fan. Say it out loud. I refuse to be a fan. I will follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I will not deny him. I will shout his name from the rooftops. I will honor him. I will honor him on the mountaintops. I will honor him when life sucks. I will go after God wholeheartedly. I will run after him. I will flee anything that is sin. I will run from it. I will have nothing to do with it. Because you are my God. You are Lord of my life. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.